calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Hello, junkies. It's true. The Crypt Shakedown is finally out. 13 plus years in the making. It is now out in hardcover, ebook, and an audiobook narrated by Ray Porter, the man who narrated Earthcore and Mount Fitzroy. The junkie reviews and ratings are pouring in, and uh, quite frankly, I'm a little verklempt. I know I kind of poke fun at the emotions involved in the writing game, uh, but this time I really can't do that. So many junkies have been waiting such a long time for this story, and I worked my fanny off to make the best book I could for you, and to see the five-star reviews and the glowing comments coming in, it's really, really fulfilling. Because I worked hard on this for you, for the junkies. Because I wanted this to be a special part of the Sigliverse. And to see that it it's resonating as well as it is. People really are enjoying the story and, and all that hard work has paid off. It swells my heart. It really does. So if you have left a review, thank you very much for that. If you haven't... When you finish, I hope you dig the story, and if you do dig it, I hope you can leave a review as well. The best places to review, Audible, Amazon, Goodreads, and according to the math, don't be shy with a five-star. If you're stingy about a little thing, that impacts the algorithm and a bunch of other stuff. Ding me on something later. If it's anywhere in ballpark of that, just go ahead and give it five, and I will love you. On to today's story. Io Typhoon is a very Stephen Kingish tale. It is from my earlier days of writing. Uh, there's some explanation of that in the author notes that follow the story. Remember the Blood is Red stories? You get the story, and then you get the author's note about that story after. Iowa Typhoon is a two-parter. This is part one. Part two will be next in the episode. And ladies and gentlemen and junkies of all ages, when the purple lightning comes, you best lock up your kids. Iowa Typhoon by Scott Sigler I remember I laughed the first time Bobby said it. Bobby's my brother. I live with his family over on Sullivan Street. I should call him Bob, that's what he prefers, but he'll always be Bobby to me. It sounded as if he were joking. I mean, who ever heard of a typhoon in Iowa? Absurd, wouldn't you say? 
but that's what he said. I do remember it, although only vaguely. It seems the longer I stay here, the less I remember about before, and the less I want to leave. I suspect the latter part, about the leaving, I mean, is already a moot point. I like it here too much. Fender's Point is my home now. Yes, I can call it that. My home. I wouldn't dream of living anywhere else. Sure, I miss Boston sometimes, although less and less lately. Actually, I'm not sure that I've stopped missing Boston as much as I've stopped remembering the things that made me miss it in the first place. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does, but bear with me. This is an interesting story. At the rate things are slipping away, the things from before I started living in Fenner's Point, I mean, I, I need to just rattle on and get it all out. But then again, you reporters love to listen to people ramble, don't you? From the Boston Globe, you say? Well, it's nice to see a face from Beantown, although to tell you the truth, I don't remember any of the faces I knew while I lived there. You'd think that would bother me, forgetting everything from before, but it doesn't. Well, not much, anyway. Not as much as it used to. You're starting a new life here, Kevin. That's what they tell me. A new life. And you know what? They're right. I just got a job down at Harvey's Hardware. Old Harvey's youngest son, Jacob, I think it was, he had an accident during the last typhoon. We all miss him, but he's gone now, and there's work to be done. Accidents happen, you know, especially during the rainy season. Now, you might think that stocking shelves in a hardware store is boring compared to being a famous professor of anthropology at Boston College, but it's not. I know that's hard to believe, but I like my new job. I like it a lot more than the old job, as a matter of fact. I used to treasure my professor status, but it all seems so long ago that I'm not sure what all the fuss was about. This, this is better. Simpler. I'm much happier here. My wife Martha would be, too, if she was still around, but, you know, accidents happen. As I said, now I live with Bobby in his daughter Vicky's old room. Sure, the clown wallpaper is a trifle annoying, but she was a kid for crying out loud, so I don't mind that much. The room's empty, Bobby said, so why don't you just stay for a while? And I did. And I hadn't heard a peep from Boston until you showed up, although I don't know why you'd come all this way to talk to a simple hardware store worker. So, as I was saying, I called my little brother Bobby a while back. I'm not sure how many weeks or months. Those words don't mean so much anymore. We measure the time by the rainy seasons and the dry seasons. People who aren't from here get a little confused, but Fender's Point residents understand each other. So anyway, I called my brother and told him I wanted to visit. I hadn't seen Bobby in years, not since Dad's funeral. It's not our fault, you know. We do love each other. It's just the distance and distractions kept us apart. Bobby worked at the little military research facility in Fender's Point, which is supposed to be a secret, but we all know about it anyway. And I was always busy at the college. For the past ten years, I was off on one dig or another as soon as school let out. I don't remember the dig locations, but uh, there was usually a great deal of sand, and it was god-awful hot. It's much nicer here. The climate always seems to agree with you. As long as you stay out of the rain, of course, but that's just good old Midwestern common sense. But this summer, I had no digs lined up. I remember something about our funding being cut off, but the details are a little fuzzy. That was before, you know. Out of the blue, I called Bobby and asked if he'd like me and Martha to come visit. Come visit? Bobby said. Yes, I said. We haven't seen you in years. I want to see my baby brother Bobby and his kids. You can call me Bob, he said, 
as he always does and I always ignore him. We'd all love to see you, Susan and the kids especially. Then he said something that I'll never forget. It was the funny thing I told you about before. You know, the one I laughed at? I should have known better. Bobby never did have much of a sense of humor, even when we were children. Why would you want to come out now? He asked. It's the middle of typhoon season. Well, I thought that was a pretty good joke, as I've said, and I didn't think anything of it. Typhoon schmyphoon, I said, and told him we were coming out. I remember the other thing that he mentioned. It should have rung some bells, too, but I just didn't get it. Not many people from outside Fender's Point get it. Okay, he said, but it's your funeral. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I can cut out most of the part about the trip here. Not much to say. Martha and I saw all the sights. It's funny, but in all my years of burying my nose in the sand, I never bothered to take a look around America. It's a nice place once you get out of the city. Quite fascinating. Martha and I both agreed that the drive here was beautiful. Did I tell you that we saw the world's largest ball of tinfoil on the way? I don't remember what town that was in, but how can you forget a 15-foot-high ball of tinfoil. Martha and I drove all the way out here, stopping as often as we pleased, sometimes just to walk in fields and pick flowers, sometimes just to sit in the shade of a tree and hold hands. It was a nice trip. Martha and I hadn't done anything like it in a very long time. Like I said, I don't remember many details about that trip, but I do remember that she always looked so beautiful in the summer sun. We didn't know what beautiful was, however, until we arrived in Fender's Point. Birds chirped in the trees. Little unpolluted clouds graced a flawless pale blue sky. Trees exploded in the ember glow of early summer. The place was absolutely stunning, vibrating with life and charm. More like a picture book than an actual small town. I know I sound a little pretentious with my descriptions, but just look at this place. Brings out the poet in all of us. And the people. My, 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 they were so nice. We all say around here that it's the people who make Fender's Point such a nice place to live. Of course, we all know that's not the truth, but it's still a fitting thing to say. Well, just look around. I don't need to tell you how beautiful it is, do I? Not when you're looking right at it. Took our breath away. We hadn't seen small-town America in, I guess, a, a few decades. Hell. We didn't even have a car when we lived in, uh, Boston. I used to pronounce it ka, but this Midwestern twang is so contagious I've lost my accent. Didn't even own a car. Can you believe that? We rented one for the drive out here. In Boston, we took the T everywhere we needed, and Amtrak got us to the airport. Didn't need a car at all. We didn't know what we were missing, I can tell you that now. Martha liked it here. I miss her, but her memory is fading. Someday soon, I won't feel any more hurt. That will be nice. We got to Bobby's house, and the kids were so big. 
Bobby Jr. had changed into a burly teenager since the last time I'd seen him. His black hair framed a face with only a hint of boyhood left in it. His strong cheekbones and chin perched over a thick neck. Bobby Jr., who was already bigger than his dad, was rapidly becoming a man, his body free of fat and his muscles thick in the prime of youth. He looked just like his father had at that age. Bobby Sr., of course, now had the lines of middle age gracing his plump face, and his fat-free days had long since gone the way of butterfly collars and disco. Victor, a Vicky's twin brother, he had grown from a toddler to a bundle of ten-year-old energy. He had his father's dark eyes, but his mother's glowing blonde hair, as pure as the wheat fields that spread out around Fender's Point. He clutched a teddy bear and couldn't stand still for even a second. He didn't remember us, of course, but he was so excited to meet family. God, but those children were beautiful. Martha and I never wanted to have kids. Now that she's gone, I might change my mind. Goodness knows there's plenty of widows in Fender's Point, if you know what I mean. Oh, sorry, that's an inside joke. Never mind. So anyway, I asked where little Vicky was, and you know what? Bobby just stared at me, like he didn't know what I was talking about. It took him a few seconds to remember his own daughter. Vicky? he asked, his eyes blankly staring at me as his brain tried to dredge up the name. Vicky. Oh, yes, my daughter, right? I remember thinking that Bobby's newfound sense of humor was getting pretty good, but the next thing he said told me something was very wrong. Vicky passed on. Bobby said it matter-of-factly like it was nothing significant. Passed on, I said, thinking that I was missing something because he still had a grin on that chubby face. You don't mean... Dead. Bobby said. That smile never left his little boy face. She's dead. I think it was two rainy seasons ago. Accidents happen, Kevin. You should know that. Come on inside and let me show you the house. Susan is dying to see you. The man talked about his dead daughter so casually, and he actually tried to pretend he didn't remember her. She was dead, and he'd never called me for the funeral, never even called to let me know. I remember thinking that I had some friends in the psychology department who could help my dear old brother deal with his loss. His denial was obvious. Martha and I exchanged a look I won't forget for some time. That little look we exchanged said a lot, and the main thing it said was that we shouldn't bring up little Vicky's demise, for a while at least. Bobby would tell us about it in his own good time. Susan looked as radiant as ever, with her long blonde hair tied back in a ponytail, the same as she always wore it with the exception of her wedding day. I'd stood as best man, of course. Next to Martha, I admit she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Bobby caught her in his college days when she was a cheerleader and he was a quarterback. Now, I wouldn't call him a star, mind you. The team went 2-9 in his senior year, but he was a quarterback nonetheless. The Storybook Couple to this day, they're as happy and loving as two people can be. In fact, the whole family looked happy. Happier than they had ever looked when Bobby worked in Boston. And healthy. They all looked healthy. Like there was a, like a light inside of them shining as brightly as the North Star in a clean, lightning-free night. It was a little unsettling to see them this happy, but Martha and I both knew it was only because we'd just heard about little Vicky. They'd obviously come to terms with her death. Well, I suppose you want to get to the meat of this story, eh? You'd like to hear about the typhoons, why I left college, or vanished, as you put it, and how I came to live here. In due time, in due time, 
We're almost there, so be patient. Humor an old man telling a little story. We spent two days in Fender's Point. With Bobby Jr. and Victor out of school for summer vacations, we had a wonderful time as a whole family. We enjoyed a big barbecue on Saturday and a great day at Emerson Beach on Sunday. You'd like Emerson Beach. Very clean, hundreds of yards of sand. Peach Lake is on the edge of town, but it's still in Fender Point proper. We're proud of that beach. It sure adds to the town's image, don't you think? Bobby Jr. was such a nice young man. So polite. I remember Martha commenting that the local girls must be chasing him all around town. And funny? Oh my, that child had Martha and I in stitches the whole time. He may have looked like Bobby Sr., but Bobby Jr. had a delightful sense of humor that never graced his father. Susan and Martha had always been such good friends when Bobby lived near Boston. They slipped back into the old friendship like they never parted, chatting in whispers and giggles, as if they were still teenagers talking between classes. Susan was always so sweet. I still couldn't tell suggestive jokes without her turning red and sometimes leaving the room. It's adorable how she gets so embarrassed. I told most of my good dirty jokes to Bobby Jr., who always countered with one even dirtier. I would have admonished him if I hadn't been laughing so hard. Boys will be boys. My favorite part of that wonderful weekend, though, was little Victor. God, but wasn't he just a little trooper? I played catch with him for hours and hours, helped him build a Lego city, read him his picture books. We made sandcastles at the beach. He never said much and was very shy, but he latched onto his Uncle Kevin in a big way. Wonderful kid. I remember putting him to bed one night and what he said. I love you, Uncle Kevin, Victor said in his tiny voice, all curled up in his pajamas covered with pictures of firemen and fire trucks. I love you lots. Well, as you can imagine, my heart just melted. It was probably the most he'd said to me at one time since I'd arrived in Fender's Point. Kid doesn't talk much, probably because of the loss of his twin sister. I still play with him every day. Except, of course, when it rains. Victor still doesn't handle that very well. After the third day, Martha and I decided that we wanted to see more of the country. We were falling in love all over again. Not that we'd ever fallen out of it, mind you, but I'd been so busy with the college and she'd been so busy with her medical practice that we hadn't spent any serious time together in ages. She came up with a crazy idea. Drive to the West Coast, see the country along the way, hit California, and then fly home. It sounded like a wild, impetuous idea at the time, something two college kids might try not something that two prestigious 40-somethings would do. So, of course, we decided that was the plan. We knew we weren't young, but we weren't ready to be old, and that spontaneity seemed like a great way to cling to some priceless youth. The weather grew dark that afternoon when I told Bobby we were leaving. He looked concerned. He thought the trip sounded wonderful, of course, but then he said something weird. It sure sounds like fun, but why on earth would you ever want to leave Fender's Point? We want to see the country, I told Bobby. He gave me that blank stare, the same as when I'd first asked about Vicky. He didn't say anything this time, just shrugged his shoulders, like he simply couldn't understand us. We packed, sneaking in a few kisses and gropes in Vicky's old room. The room gave us the creeps a little bit, being the room of our dead niece, but not enough to make us forget each other's bodies. We were going to a hotel. I believe we planned on making love all night, sleeping in, and eating room service all day. We were taking our bags to the entryway for the big round of goodbyes when I saw Bobby shut the front door and turn the handles on at least ten deadbolt locks. The house had grown dark, 
and not just from the overly cloudy skies outside. Every curtain and shade was tightly drawn. Some were sealed shut with duct tape against the outside light. Author's note for Iowa Typhoon. Normally, I write in third person. I wanted to dabble a little bit with first person, try a change of pace, and I wound up with Iowa Typhoon. This one is more old school sci-fi than most of my stories. Old school sci-fi as in, take an unexplained event, give it a tiny trapping of quote science end quote, then have bad things happen to good people. You can probably see some Stephen King influence in the story. Small town, something awful is happening, and yet the residents don't really do anything about it because that awful thing isn't so awful to them. It's gory, it's throwback, and I think it's fun. Unless you were that little puppy, of course, then the story's kind of a pisser. Iowa Typhoon first saw print as a bonus story in the back of the original Ancestor trade paperback published by Dragon Moon Press in 2007. You have been listening to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.